Show come to you live every weeknight at midnight Eastern, about an hour. We talk about guns. Got a couple people joining us tonight. We've got Angelina jumping in from California. Thanks for joining. Howdy. That's like okay, jumping in from Connecticut. Duty. That'll work. We got a Patriot jumping in from Michigan. Thanks for joining. Hey, thanks. Yeah, we got Snob jumping in from Oklahoma. Yep, thanks for the invite. But I'm over here in, in Arizona. We got a couple more links out there to people on the Gun Channel side. We run this show live on YouTube. Uh, we simulcast it over at gunchannels.com. Uh, our effort here is to work with the new media, so we're trying to have a conversation here with the people that are watching. So we appreciate people that watch us live and uh, make use of the text chats out there on YouTube and up on Gun Channels. So it's uh, Monday and. Uh, we have a couple of things on the schedule to talk about. Um, since I know it's not Monday, it's Tuesday. So since it's Tuesday, we're going to talk about Maryland for our state of the state. And we don't have a Smeggy anymore to prepare anything, or Jimmy. So we'll just kind of wing it. And then I figured we'd talk about interpreting the Second Amendment in modern times and see where that goes. Some other stuff as well. But if anybody wants to jump in with anything else, we can start off with that. Um, I don't have anything else. I just voted today, so that's all that happened for me. Oh, sweet. Is that like, uh, what, what kind of election? What kind of stuff was that? It was a primary, and I, I was the 36th person polled, I guess, at my district. And as soon as I got home, I had to call and report the district because they were, had some issues. <laughs> so... That was kind of interesting, but so I, I used the AutoMark machines, and they've got a new machine, and they were all excited to tell me about it. Then they didn't have the code to turn it on, so yeah. That was really helpful. Yeah, so they just expect you know your driver, if it's a taxi or however you get there, to to help you out, and I refused. So it worked out though. That's good. Uh, what about the rest of you? What did you guys do today? Or what did you review? I bought ammunition today. That was about it. Awesome. I worked today. That was about it. That sounds good. Oh. Um, Q-Obs is back in a minute. I worked today. So... Pretty much all I did. All right, so um, yeah, let's dig in to the show. So I guess we're talking about Maryland and gun laws. So I guess the best thing to do is I'm going to share my screen. I mean, it won't matter because no one will be able to see it. Um, 
Yeah, so I'm pretty sure Maryland's like a California, right? Michael? Maryland, Maryland is May issue. They're not shall issue. And as far like, as their carry permit, but like, don't they have kind of, oh yeah, we got this uh, 10 round thing, very familiar with that. You don't know like sadness until you've seen a little tiny nubbin bag. Um, background checks, automatic, let's see. Yeah, background check is next check is required, which is, makes sense. Uh, the uh, you you make your application right to the secretary of the state police, which is kind of nice, so you don't have to go through the town. State police maintains permanent record. Yeah, and it's only good for two years. And uh, the first one, the first one's good for two, and then all the ones after that are good for three. So you got to renew every three years? Two years for the first time, and then after that, every three. Which sort of sucks. Do you know how much that costs? Uh, yeah, it's, uh, let me see. The, uh, an original application is $70. And uh, there's a $5 per fingerprinting fee. But I assume... I, I haven't seen yet, but I assume there's probably a training requirement. Uh, let me look here. Required documents, notarized, completed. No, it doesn't look like they require a, uh, doesn't look like they require a course. So that's kind of good because that's usually pretty expensive. So you just apply and you get in? Basically? Well, it's May, it's May issue. It's not shall issue. So you make the application and cross your fingers. I wonder if they, like, is it a California or is it like a, you actually may get it. Yeah, that I don't know. All right, what else we got there? Um, I mean, the 10 rounds thing, so they got that going on. I wonder if that's for all of their firearms or is it just like rifles or probably everything no i think the carry permit is only for handguns and because uh, uh, they have the 10 round magazine capacity thing here as well yeah i haven't seen that yet and then in the stuff i'm looking at but that's okay but but rifles and shotguns you know if they're in a motor vehicle they got to be unloaded Oh, very interesting. How it is here too. Only one. Oh, here's something interesting. As of October first, a handgun qualification license is required for sale. So buying a pistol. Oh, certain pistols are classified as assault pistols. Yeah. But, but Maryland does have a castle doctrine and also has a stand your ground law. And not only that, uh, in October of 2010, they passed a law that says you are immune from civil persecution, prosecution, 
uh, or damages when force, including deadly force, is used under reasonable circumstances to repel an attack in your own dwelling or place of business. So that was pretty cool. That seems like a pretty, uh, I mean, I don't want, yeah, I don't want to use the word good, but I mean, it seems like a pretty good law for a state that has a lot of, like, gun rules. Yeah, so if a guy breaks into your house and you end up shooting him, if they determine it's a clean shoot, then his relatives can't sue you for damages under in civil court. Or if you just injured a guy and he lives, he can't, you know, sue you for injuring him. Do we think cool. the crime in Baltimore plays a part in this? I don't, you got me. They do not have open carry most places. Right. They do honor quite a few other permits, though. How many? Say how many? Do you have like a list? Of I've got a list, but I ha I haven't counted it. It's it's pretty uh, it's pretty big. But I don't know if you have to be a resident in order for it to work. You know, like I have a Utah permit, and some states accept a Utah permit no matter what. Other states only accept the Utah permit if you are actually a resident of Utah. So that's pretty bad. Oh, here's a little interesting thing Three, I'm seeing in Wikipedia. They had an integrated ballistics identification system. So until 2016, dealers were required to forward the manufacturer-issued shell casing or one provided by the federal federally licensed gun shop in its sealed container to the Department of State Police Crime Laboratory upon sale, rental, or transfer of a regulated firearm for inclusion into their ballistics database, known as the Integrated Ballistics Identification System. The program was shut down in 2015 due to its ineffectiveness. Yeah, no kidding. I found the line to be the best part. Yeah, 42 states, as far as I can tell. Okay, so, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty big. That's a lot, yeah. That's a lot, yeah. So, Maryland's not as anti-gun as some states, I guess. You just can't have an assault pistol or rifle. I mean, no such thing. assault pistol, though, that's what... Well, she just read it, and it said assault pistol, so there must be. It's, yeah, it said, okay, here we go. Certain pistols classified as assault doesn't say which though oh they have a roster only handguns on the official handgun roster may be sold in the state so they have a roster too yeah that's very much like california right mm -hmm. we have a roster private sales of regulated firearms which includes handguns are permissible but must be done at a local maryland state police barracks hmm Oh, wow. Uh, so they have a, so for a private sale, you have to have a background check and seven-day waiting period as well. And you have to have a safety training certificate prior to purchasing regulated firearms. So that's like California, because we have to have a little safety certificate, too, that we have to show before we buy anything. Oh, they can only purchase one regulated firearm within 30 days. So it sounds like they're about 60% okay. 
not real good. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, they have like some good stuff, and then some is like, I mean, there's a lot of California in here. That's a lot of a lot of Golden State. Honestly, I think it's just salt water. Think I, think it messes, I think it messes legislators up. Like you're breathing so, it in and getting messed up. So that yeah. one firearm per month, is that one pistol or one rifle? Or is that... Well, it's a regulated firearm, right? Yeah. yeah. It, yeah it's but, a but they have a roster, so isn't doesn't that mean everything they have is re regulated? I'm, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, here... Our roster only covers handguns, so oh, okay. you can only buy one. I can only buy one brand new gun every thirty days in the state of California. Brand new, I'm sorry, brand new handgun. I can buy as many long guns as I'd like. I can buy as many used pistols as I would like. I could buy three of them a day if I would, if I'd like, all thirty days. Okay, according to NRA ILA, Maryland does not regulate the sale of rifles or shotguns, and no permit is required to purchase a rifle or shotgun. That is not an assault weapon. Maryland does regulate the sale, transfer, rent, and possession of regula regulated firearms, which consists of handguns and assault weapons. So it looks like all handguns are considered regulated by definition. So that's pretty much like it is. Yeah, that was as of 2014. But regular shot rifles and shotguns for like hunting and stuff, nothing, you don't need nothing, just go buy them. As long as they're not assault weapons, whatever, whatever that means. I mean, it's probably, an assault weapon's probably like an AR. I don't get the point in the 30-day waiting period. If you already have one gun, why do you have to wait 30 days to buy a second gun? What does that matter? Um, it, it's, just, it's just roadblocks. It's like roadblocks and stuff to inconvenience you, so you just won't buy a gun. It's don't so they know you won't arm your family. You know, so don't they know we're all 12 kids. kids. What did you say, Snob? I said, don't they know we're all and can't afford to buy two new guns a month right yeah it's uh it's kind of sad because when they had there was this thing where you could buy off roster guns with a single shot exemption or something and some kind of loophole that we had here and people were planning out their gun purchases so every month they have to go buy a gun so they could get all these off roster guns and now and then they closed the loophole and now those guns are worth like Double their retail value because you can't buy them at the store unless you're a cop. Dang loopholes! Dang loopholes! Um. So yeah, I mean, is that so? Is that pretty much Maryland? Did we discuss their Second Amendment ish stuff? We learned they only sixty percent suck. We did learn that. They do have state preemption, which is kind of good. Do you want to so, explain what that is for people who might not? Oh, yeah. So state preemption means that your local municipality cannot enact their own, like, firearms bans or weapons bans or any of that kind of stuff. The state generally, the state laws take precedence and they preempt any, uh, any local law. So that's like a Chicago, Cook County... 
type situation. And there was, uh, there was one other thing I saw. Hold on a minute. Uh, that preemption there. is when there's cities that are older than the states that comes up more. So when the state well, it's really it's really more the way your state was originally defined. So like Connecticut and Massachusetts, the the municipalities in the state predate the state, so they actually have the rights to make their own laws. That's what I was just basically saying. Yeah, like out here. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but, but generally it has to do with how the state isn't, once the state became a state, how was it incorporated? But another interesting thing is you can own a machine gun, but it has to be registered within 24 hours of acquisition, and you have to re-register it annually with the Secretary of Police, and there is a $10 fee. So you pay a $10 tax for all practical purposes on any, on any, uh, NFA, you know, machine gun type item. That's interesting. With that preemption, I beg your pardon. With with the preemption, does that work both ways? If you have an area that says that we're not going to regulate as much as the state, no, that you cannot do that. No, they can't do that either. Okay, no. Yeah, basically preemption means state law is the law, and that's it, Okay. generally speaking. All right, so that's Maryland. That's so, all I found from the couple sources I went to, anyway. If anyone has any nice things to say about Maryland, we'll say them now. If not, we'll uh, move on to our next segment. Maryland, Maryland. Um, I've been to Maryland. It's nice. I like it. I did do good things there, but it's lovely. I've driven through it, and they do accept non-resident. When, when I went through it the last time, they accepted non-resident Utah permits and Pennsylvania, too, I believe. So I didn't have to disarm myself when I went through, not like when I went through Illinois. Illinois, they always get you. Yeah, they're they're evil bad people. All right, so Maryland, yay. Um, all right, so we'll move on to our second topic of the day, which is I'm not sure what, but before that, member of the day, and the member of the day is Bob. He's on the YouTube side, and he's a member of the day. So he is. Oh yeah, there he is. I'm sorry. So, I wish Bob would come back to us, but I don't know. He hates us. All in blue. Another wrench guy. Maybe we'll see Bob again one day. We'll start playing. Well, there is a schedule now. We've actually got this go scheduled out for the rest of the month, and Bob is not the member of the day. So, Big Gunner 81 is the member of the day. The official member of the day. Well, there's two then. There's two. We're going to have a, a, a member of the day death match coming up now, or? Uh, who wins, Big Gunner or Bob? I think Big Gunner wins. <laughs> I don't know. Bob is, Bob is pretty feisty and strong from doing all that work on his vehicles and stuff. He's got good arms. Uh, I think Bob met Big Gunner. We'll let him decide. 
Yeah, I don't think I met him. He wasn't at Tulsa, so I don't recall running into him. No, he just goes to SHOT Show. Uh, All right. The other topic today was interpreting the Second Amendment through modern times. Because it's really just for muskets, single shotguns. That's all the founding fathers knew about. Because that's all you need to hunt. No. The cannons. Good, good joke. You know, actually, most of the cannons in the Civil War were privately owned. I thought that was an interesting bit of trivia. I didn't know but, that thing. Yeah, but but the point the point with the militia, which was all able-bodied men, eighteen and up, was that they were supposed to bring their own weapons to war. So obviously, the founding fathers expected them to bring whatever the modern weapon of war of the day was that an average person would tend to own. So obviously it couldn't have just been muskets. And, and even in, uh, I don't recall how far back the, uh, the repeating rifles went, but they went back really far. They just weren't terribly, uh, they just weren't terribly uh, uh, prevalent. So in the, I guess what was that, the 1700s. So in the 1700s, there probably weren't that many of them. Though Da Vinci actually invented a few. I've actually seen models of, of some of the da, Vinci, the, the da Vinci guns that were for shooting, uh, you know, when you're being attacked by a whole mob of people. And that was pretty cool. What kind that, of rounds did it fire? It, it, they were, uh, they were uh, muzzleloader type weapons. And basically, if you could picture a bunch of muzzleloaders on a rack in like a fan, and where you could just set them off all real easy, so so picture them like little cannons, except they were they were you know uh, rifle sized cannons, you know probably probably fifty eighty caliber that kind of thing, and you just had them set up staggered in a fan shape, and you would you would use them you know to drive off if you were being a attacked by a whole bunch of people at once. So That's suppressive fire, yeah. yeah. That sounds crazy. Yeah, but the Vinci, he's, you're talking way back there, man. You know, 15, 1600s. He's a sharp dude. Yeah, he did. Didn't he do that helicopter thing, too? Yeah, if they could have found a... a, a the source, they probably could have made it work, but it didn't work out. Sikorsky finally figured that out. Yep, that's true. And Midnight Range said he actually designed a tank at one time, too. He had plans for a tank. Exactly. Cool. So, I mean, as far as interpreting with the modern interpretation for the Second Amendment, I mean, what would we say for that? I have I have no problem with people saying that the Second Amendment only includes muskets as long as the First Amendment only includes word of mouth and doesn't include the internet, the printing press, uh, you know, or any other modern, you know, Kindles or any of that stuff, uh, TV, uh, newspapers. So you, fair is fair, right? You got to you got to treat everything the same, and if the First Amendment is good for modern speech then the second amendment is good for modern guns the the and just like the fourth amendment not fourth fifth whichever one that says they can't put people in your house you know right. that you know that that includes modern military people 
So, again, you got to, the Second Amendment needs to be treated with the full respect of all the other amendments uh, in the Bill of Rights. All right. I mean, that seems, that seems fair, I guess. Does it? Y'all. And, and in fact, there was a, I keep bringing this up, but there was a case. I don't know. Of course, I can never remember the name. There was a case where a guy had a sawed off shotgun and he got arrested for having a sawed off shotgun. And the rationale of the, it went up to the Supreme Court and the ration, the rationale of the court said, Hey, that's not a weapon that was used in war, so you can't have it. It's not protected by the Second Amendment. U.S. Oh. versus Miller. Yeah, you, you can't have it both. Yeah, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, "Well, weapons of war are protected," but no, 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 you can't have weapons of war; they're not protected. So you know, make up your freaking mind. Thank you, the Miller thing. Yeah. Well, that's a modern one. That's something that hopefully we could take to the uh, new Supreme Court. Oh, I, I tried that. That that was one of the arguments I made when I had my big testimony at the uh, judiciary last year uh, when we were talking about AR AR-15s, and they said, "Well, it's a you know it's a weapon of war." And I said, "Well, first of all, it's not a weapon of war. And by the way, the Second Amendment has already been interpreted to cover." weapons of war and, and and the Miller decision and there was actually a lawyer on the panel who contested that and said that's not what Miller said and it's like what, what are you going to do now you just have to agree to disagree because you're not allowed to argue see the problem is you're not allowed to argue with the with the the people on the panel and you're not allowed to ask them questions so you can make statements and they can ask you questions about your statements. But when they make statements, you're not allowed to question them about the validity of their statements. So it's very one-sided. That's, that's probably, you should bring the, the actual bill so you can read it. And then that's. Yeah. Right, but, it, but it really wouldn't make any difference because the guy's going to interpret it how he wants to interpret it. You know, a, an anti-gunner is an anti-gunner and you're not going to, you're not going to convince them with that. You're just wasting your time. Uh, we still got to try. Yeah. I found something interesting. This, I don't know how to pronounce it, Ghiridoni air rifle. Was yes, that was around at the time that Lewis and Clark went was a, to uh, on their uh, on their thingy. It was in 1779. Right. So it was after the it was after the War of Independence. Yeah. Shortly after. Yeah. Very close. And it fired thirty shots, by the way. It could fire thirty shots, and it had a it had a portable pump, you know, a foot pump that you could use to pump it up. And Lewis and Clark used it when they made their their great foray into the West. And it was actually lethal up to one hundred and fifty yards. Oh yeah, it was actually it's very much like modern uh, air guns. I've seen a lot of modern air guns on Iraq veteran eighty eight eighty eight, and they're they're. Pretty bad, man. Pretty badass. I wouldn't carry one, but they're pretty neat because I like them to go boom. I like I like it to boom. Right. Yeah, not just one says uh, Giardoni makes good chocolate too. You know, I think that's what happened. I think uh, Giardelli used to make those guns, and they couldn't make any money on them, so they switched to chocolate. 
You went from Delhi to Dhoni? Or did, no, you went Dhoni to Delhi. Yeah. Wow. You're going to shot chocolate. Mm. That's a thing. All right, so um, they make chocolate all? AKs. 1911s too. I've had a few of those. I give them away at Christmas time. Go ahead, Angelina. I'm sorry. Um, I was Every time. Is there? You got something on in the background? I couldn't quite hear you. It was uh, a thing just started playing. I was trying to look it up. Oh, okay. Um, so I'm going to the schedule now. Steve said we're all scheduled out. Um, so while I'm doing that, let's see if we have a. We got a couple of things in the calendar for today. Whoa. Yeah, today's a really cool day when you get to the history part. So we've got um, Victory in Japan, DJ Day, and it's also the day that Smith and Weston patented the first uh, self-contained cartridge. Way too short. So uh, today's the birthday of all bullets. So the rimfire was the first one. Twenty-two short was first first bullet. Percussion cap was invented. Then the oh. volcanic was basically your first uh, gun that had a magazine, right? So you had your like what you guys were talking about your your flint locks goes to percussion caps. Somebody figures out you can uh, instead of using a loose powder and a loose ball, you can wrap all that stuff up in paper. Or Colt sold 30,000 rounds of tin foil wrapped cartridges that you just shove down a, a muzzle loader and load a lot faster. And then uh, at some point they figured out, okay, at, well, who was it? Sharps figured out you could open the butt, butt end of the muzzle loader and load from Yeah, the breech loader, yeah. And then um, Henry, no, somebody. But they had, they had pin guns too before that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so first you go from flintlocks to percussions, then you get breech loaders, then you get uh, magazine-fed breech loaders, then you get cartridges, and then revolver was the first gun with a cartridge. You got the volcanic there right before it. Neat little time. All happened in America. So are we doing history right now? I guess we'd go to history. I just had something neat if we were, so... Right. In 1782, George Washington orders the creation of the Badge of Military Merit to honor soldiers wounded in battle. It is later renamed the more poetic Purple Heart. Oh, that was yesterday. No, that was the 7th. Nope, today. Today is Purple Heart Day. Oh, I thought it was yesterday. Well, it says the 7th. I don't know. Yeah, it's today. Today is Purple Heart Day. So everybody yep. probably knows somebody. So think them a little extra, okay? And, uh, yeah, I think that the one thing I've noticed about people that I know that have purple hearts and even just, like, general people you meet, they never tell you about it. you got to drag it out of them. Because they, uh, I mean, that's, you're not in it for the glory, right? You're in it because you give a shit. So think a veteran, you know, today and always. 
Yeah, and um, it's easier and easier to take a phone uh, and head over to somebody's house, grandparents, uncle, just a guy down the street that you know, and uh, ask them a story about it, like you're saying, and then record it, archive it. And it might not be perfect the first time, but that might get them comfortable talking about it. And uh, if it's not something they want to just talk about, let them know that there's some merit to just having it, it for the family to, you know, future generations to be able to hear from the horse's mouth, so to speak, the actual situation. We live in a time when that's easier and easier. Yeah, it's, re it's really cool if you can find documentation on your relatives. I actually had a great, great, great uncle that fought at the Battle of Chancellorville and was wounded. He ended up losing an arm. But, uh, you know, that was something I, I didn't know until I was I started doing a, uh, you know, a, a family tree deal. And I was I went up to Maine to visit some relatives of mine and they dug out their stuff. And sure enough, they had the documentation from when he was in the hospital. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was definitely important to do this because, you know, a lot of the older guys are not going to be around forever. And you don't want to lose it. For sure. Yep. And, in, and in 1794, all the idiots that think that the military wouldn't fight the, the, the local people, you know, they, they, they would refuse to do that. Just remember in 1794, there was the Whiskey Rebellion, and they called out the federal troops to put them down. So it's not like it don't happen. Uh, they created the army for that shit, I think. Well, there were already federal troops in 1794, and when they had the Whiskey Rebellions in Pennsylvania, the president called in 12,900 federal troops uh, from surrounding states to force, forcibly usher the farmers back to their homes after shooting quite a few of them. Today, in 1945, radar was unknown to the public. I guess it had been the secret up until today in 1945. Did they credit the British with that? I don't know. Because that was one of the things Arthur C. Clarke did, you know. He helped develop ground-based radar. Well, but his book sold here, so it makes him American. 1942, U.S. forces invade Guadalcanal. Uh, okay. I think we landed there to stop an invasion but I'm just seeing what it says on the website uh, let's see 1976 scientists in Pasadena California announced that the Viking 1 spacecraft had found the strongest indication to date of possible life on Mars but they don't say what it was Pasadena anyway little old lady there Oh, yeah, do you? The grass is always greener in Pasadena. Yeah, she also had a really good car that they wrote about, right? Mm -hmm. In 1990, the first American soldiers arrived in Saudi Arabia. Shit. 1998, uh, truck bomb outside the embassy in. Kenya, the U.S. Embassy in Kenya, uh, 
terrorist attack killed 224 people, including 12 Americans, wounded 4,500. They accused uh, Bin Laden for that. Ooh, it's in 98. That's when Clinton, or that what's what instigated Clinton throwing cruise missiles at Bin Laden's training camps in Afghanistan. And um, there's a whole big paragraph, so I'm guessing that's what led him to get all pissed. So mine, mine actually has a lie in it, so that's pretty good. I enjoyed that. Mine says, in 1945, the secret of radio direction finding RDF, now called radar, is made public. Well, that's not how radar works. Radio direction finding works by triangulating on a, on a radio source. Radar works by bouncing a radio signal off an object and detecting the return. So whoever wrote this is full of shit. They don't know what they're talking about. But in 1944... The precursor to the modern day, one of the precursors of the modern day computer was put in service. The IBM Automatic Sequence Control Calculator, the ASIC. And it started working on computations for the U.S. Navy Bureau of Ships. It was also used, which I thought was really cool. John von Neumann uh, worked on the Manhattan Project and was trying to understand if you could use an implosion to generate a nuclear detonation. And he was, uh, and he used that calculator to try to figure that out and i actually had a physics teacher who worked in the manhattan project and they when he left they would not like take him let him take any of his notes with him he was a cool guy that makes sense it says i used that computer for 15 years yeah lots of stuff but i think it was eniac that did the first census so they it took took them a little while to get to one that was fast enough to, to do uh, and Hollerith had to come up with the cards and all that stuff. So, so have you ever read the book IBM and the Holocaust? No, I haven't. Uh, it's a pretty interesting book if you think about it from the angle of how did the Nazis figure out who the Jews were and who the Gypsies were and what percentage of whatever and then how what those numbers on the arms those tattoos what all that meant well it all was database uh, created by ibm's or uh, you know basically the, like you're saying the census machines they just you know tweaked the census machine to do evil and ibm uh you know was told not to do well they weren't going to do business with the nazis because it would have been bad pr but they were told not to do business with the nazis so they set up like a lot of companies they set up like 12 other companies out yeah, shell corporations. Yeah. yeah, and then those companies did uh, business with the Nazis. So their whole thing was the cards. So back in the olden days of computers, you could uh, basically a computer was more of a, me a mechanical thing, right? The literally yeah. things yeah. would the cards would go through with holes and little gears and stuff. So these cards would be your data or your I don't know whatever. So anyway, these cards were the thing, and you you use the shit out of cards. It's you know like imagine. You had to print everything to be able to see it instead of a monitor so you'd go through a lot of paper so uh as they're going through and doing all their work they're going through tons of cards and ibm strategically made way before nazis they just made their machine in the first place so that only their cards would work or that they would be the one to supply cards so yeah all during the war they not only supplied them with the know-how and the 
tools to do the Holocaust, but they also profited off of it because they were selling them freaking cards the whole time. And wow. uh, that's an interesting book. It's called IBM and the Holocaust. It's definitely not a pro-IBM book. That's cool. I may have to read that one. Maybe I'll take that on vacation with me. Yeah, it was a, pretty got a Kindle version, you know. It also gets into IBM just as a company, and that's kind of neat how it starts from, you know, a lot of these companies, like a lot of things, they start from one thing, and then when you're sitting idle, well, we got all these machines, what else can we make? So computers kind of came from cash registers, and it's not like somebody sat down and said, you know what we need is this. Instead, it was like, hey, you know what we can make? I don't know what it's for, but let's make one and see what happens. So well, I, IBM built the first ENIAC to do census data, and th basically what they're talking about here is the fact that the Germans and Hitler used the, the census computation parts of that in order to, to identify these parts of their population. Oh, yeah, to keep track of vast numbers of people and, and, yeah. who, and relationships wow. between them and stuff, yeah. Pretty crazy. They could get, you know, your, your whatever, like, you know, the... What do they call it? Like the, the percentage of whatever race you might be, like down. They have that down to like the 16th or 32nd. They keep track. Oh, of really? Oh, yeah. oh wow. Anyway, you hear a lot about the Nazis, but never but nobody really talks about how they were able to keep track and why they kept track. So it certainly wasn't a bunch of pieces of paper. It was way beyond that. It was too many, too many people to be dealing pieces of paper. And they were weird because they're German, so they were keeping track of everything. That's the weird part. Not like the the Chinese or whatever, and the communists and just plow down whole towns. They didn't care who they were killing; they just killed Nazis. Kept yeah. track of who they were killing. Yeah, they do have a Kindle version that's about twelve bucks. It's not bad. Well, like I really weird and dark, so we'll move on from that. Yeah. Interesting Ghost, though. Ghost had an uh, interesting chat earlier today with uh, Jaeger. On anybody get a chance to see that one? Oh. I watched it. Pretty I good. did, yeah. That was pretty good. Anybody go into it with one opinion of Jaeger and come out of it with a different opinion of Jaeger? I actually did. I just told Ghost that in the side chat over there on YouTube that uh, I had no use for him, really, and I have a lot of respect for him. Yeah, I didn't know anything about him. I mean, I just you know what people said or whatever but i'd never watched any of his stuff but right well, i appreciate ghost for giving him a chance to just be james because he doesn't need anybody defending him he is a decent dude so i'm glad he got a chance to just be in a situation with a bunch of people that weren't familiar with him to be able to uh easily you know experience him just being a real dude real dude he's you know unique he's not, not a normal guy but he's definitely real Yep, that was a good show. I'd only watched some of his stuff a few years ago and just didn't care for it at all, some of his opinions and such. And I was kind of pleasantly surprised with Ghost Show. I really wasn't even going to watch Ghost Show tonight because I wasn't even interested in him, and I was glad I did. I don't know. I don't think it's from the heat. Like, it gets really hot here, and then all my, like, coax that's running from, like, where the cable comes from the pipe, you know, and then into my house kind of, it goes outside the house for a while before it comes in. And out there, it's like sagging. I think I'm losing. I got like a, a glitch or something in that wire. So I'll go out there and screw with that wire, and I'll have good internet. I'm like now, it seems to be working just fine. Earlier today, I couldn't stay online for more than a couple of minutes at a time, and it would be seem like more time offline than online. 
Is it in the sun? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I've had that happen before. And but I need to go run a new piece of coax, but it's also super hot. It's like 109 again. Well, it's a little bit cooler than that today, but super hot. Sure, it doesn't have to do with Skynet. Uh, no, <laughs> got a couple of days reprise from that. Okay. Can you lay something over it to kind of insulate it and shade it or something? Nah, there's nothing I can do. It's just out in the thing. I just changed it out every couple of years. Just piece of coax about 30 feet long or something. All right, well, so that was a couple of topics. We do have a gun shop to talk about today, which is... Thought we had a gun shop today with you. It's the National Firearms Museum. So, has anybody ever been to the uh, museum at the NRA? No. No. Uh, we've been watching this show for long enough. I think we've toured there at least once, maybe twice. And Marco, if he was joining, if you if he went live while he was there, it might have been even more than that. So if you've ever seen the NRA headquarters, which they just had some kind of march on it, some people might have seen it the other day, it's uh, just two skyscraper, not skyscrapers, two big office buildings. I think they're making seven stories tall or some six stories tall. And uh, there's two towers, and they're connected with, like, a little bridge. And uh, anyway, you drive through that little bridge between the buildings, and that's where the parking lot is, and then you can uh, walk into the like base of the one building and that's the gift shop for the nra there's like a billion books there you can buy and uh a lot of books actually and uh pretty much anything you can think of that says nra on it and then there's the museum and it's um one floor of the two buildings there and it's not the biggest museum it's one of the nicest museums because it's so it's like the extract of a gun museum it's got just all very interesting things but it's not not a lot of them they have a lot of guns but they don't have a lot of space for their museum so uh it's pretty neat and um anyway that's what we're talking about today so we got to go there in 12 we we're just talking about jaeger so that's coincidence he's helped us get downstairs there so we got to uh, meet up with doug wickland i don't know if he's still the senior curator over there or not uh the last time we went it was not him it was duncan i think but um Anyway, the first time we met up with them, and he walked us upstairs to their library, which is pretty awesome. I think they brag about it being a pretty complete gun library. So I don't know um, how big a gun library can be, but I've seen the NRA's library, and it's 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 just a room. It's not it's not like a whole floor of that building or anything. It's a it's it reminded me of when I've gone into like a room where like a lawyer or an accountant company it'll have like or whatever we call law firm we'll have like a room for all their law books and it's about like that it's not it's not the biggest library ever um but you know it's just a lot of books and we've got to check that out and then their room where they do the cleaning up and i guess repair of guns or whatever they had a bunch of tom Selleck's guns there and they had them up there and uh i guess some guns that they'll take out to do maybe pictures or i guess if people ask them or something like hey can you take me a picture of this or can you take the grip off and see what the serial number says i don't know what qualifications you have to have to be able to get them to do stuff like that but they have this whole little room there where they do that kind of stuff and they'll have um kind of what you'd see in like a hospital or something to cart around equipment like these little fancy carts that'll take the guns you know nice and securely uh through the elevators and stuff so they can 
drag stuff from the museum or from the archives downstairs up to that lab. You know, nobody's actually carrying a gun, in other words. It's all real uh, fancy. Uh, then we went down and uh, checked out the, the vault downstairs, which was pretty cool. So we've done videos on that. So that was Marco and me and Haas and uh, that Doug. So um, it's free. You can go there. I think it's closed on Thanksgiving and Christmas. Otherwise, it's open all the time. And uh, if you go on the right day, you can uh, go downstairs and shoot at the range. Um, but it seems like it's claimed quite a bit. There's a lot of activity going on there, so I wouldn't just assume you're going to be able to right shoot there. All right, well, that's our shop of the day. It's not really a shop. It's more of a museum, but uh, we're going to be talking about museums as well. And I don't know, is anybody out there talking about going there? No. So what's happening on the bench on the side? Anything good? So that's at their headquarters in Virginia or wherever? Yep, it's just right outside of D.C. It's Richmond, Virginia. No, is it Richmond, Virginia? I don't know what the name of the town is, but it's, uh, you could throw a softball and hit D.C. pretty much. It's right there. Um, whenever I stay in D.C., it's, you know, it doesn't take that long to get there. If you go there in traffic, it's bad, but if you go there during the middle of the day, it's just a couple minutes down a highway. I think it's the highway that goes to the airport from D.C., so uh, it's pretty close. Um, I've seen a couple shows on it. Like that were produced by the NRA? Uh, that Joe Montaigne, he had a Gun Stories, I think it was. And I, I think he did some of the um, something there. I can't remember exactly. It might not have been. But yeah, uh, you know, a produced one. Mm -hmm. Probably an NRA produced one. I think he's a big NRA supporter. DTP is saying we were there, yeah, when me and Marco, probably, I think we were trying to go live, and I had my little AT&T thing, but the problem was as soon as I'd get past, like, the museum has been the same since I've been there. I've been going there for a long time, and it's been the same every single time. There's one little area that changes, but otherwise it's exactly the same. So uh, when you first walk in, you walk into a room full of, it's one guy's collection. I forget what it was. Some publisher of popular magazine. So he was literally a billionaire, like billions, billions of dollars. And he was into guns. So he owned some of the most expensive, well, the most expensive guns that the NRA owns were his. And basically everything in that front room is his. So it's a whole bunch of engraved stuff. He had a Gatling gun collection. So there's a whole like chunk of Gatling guns. I think every Gatling gun in the place is his um, or was his or whatever that works out to. Then there's a bunch of just rare stuff like, uh, I don't know, like a match set that somebody built for a president like Kennedy or something. And then somehow this guy got it and just a really kind of a neat room. But um, as soon as I walked past that, then they get into like the evolution of firearms, starting with the earliest ones and start talking about rifling and then the progression into the different types of actions. And then they go around and talk about the various campaigns and the military campaigns and things. But as soon as you walk past that first kind of doorway or whatever entrance into the history of guns, the cell phone would lose signal, which is sort of lame. You would think that the um, uh, they could put a booster in there. It wouldn't cost them that much. It's the NRA. Uh, but I did end up um, arranging 
to just film the entire tour. So he was doing a tour, and I think it took about 45 minutes. We filmed the whole thing. I never actually posted that, so I could probably dig in now that I got some better video software and see if I can't pull some uh, some clips out of that. Because it was kind of neat having the actual you know, curator of the museum walk around and explain the exhibits and what's interesting about them. What's cool is there was enough people in the group. It was a pretty big group of people taking the tour. So there was a couple of questions and like a question would come up and he could point at a, you know, pretty crowded museum. It's, it's packed full of guns and stuff. There's not a lot of like dioramas with, you know, a bunch of crap that has nothing to do with the guns. It's just a whole, there's a big section of it where it's just nothing but guns and in, in, in racks. So uh, it was one of those kind of sections and the guy asked him a question about a particular gun and he was able to, you know, give the story about where it came from, how, how it got to the museum and stuff. And, just need to you know think about how those guys must know the stories for all of those things. So I would definitely take them up on a, on the tours because it's free. I think you just have to be there at the right time. Interesting. Well, that's our shop of the day. It's probably we call it the Daily Gun Show. So we talk about gun sh shows and well gun shops every day and uh, like this museum. Oh, we're going to talk about the Browning Museum tomorrow, so everybody can uh, get to, uh, no, we're not. What's going on here? Talking about, oh, you know what? I picked the wrong one anyway. Oh, I'm way off here. Oh, I scrolled way down. Let's go back. Let's not do that one as the other day. Or maybe it'll be easier to just move things in the spreadsheet. All right, well, I guess that's the end of the show. So did we miss anything? We missed a movie, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. El Diablo. El Diablo. El Diablo. Robert Mitchum, John Wayne, oh, James Kahn. About the uh, sheriff that's a drunk, and a bunch of guys come in, they're going to shoot up his town, and John Wayne is an ex-gunfighter that's a friend of his that stops by, and Kahn is like a the new fresh, you know, arrogant kid on the block. And it's a, you know, it's basically a redemption story, you know, about how they get the guy back on his feet and, you know, get him back to respect of the town again and all that stuff. It's pretty neat. It sounds like El Dorado. Oh, El Dorado. I'm sorry. Did I, say, I said Diablo, didn't I? Uh, sorry. <laughs> okay. I was, yes. I was looking at my cat, you know, and I always think that when I look at the cat. Sorry, El Dorado. Yes. Okay. There's a Rio Lobo or something. That's like a comedy one, right? Yeah, real Lobo is a little different. <laughs> that one's all right. A lot of shotgun playing in that one, and uh, yeah, it's pretty good. It's not the best Wayne one. I don't like that guy in it. Who's the drunk guy that? Robert Mitchum. Oh, I thought it was somebody else. Maybe I am mixing up the movies now. Any John Wayne movie is a winner in my book. Most of the time, they're pretty it, good. Isn't that the one where he goes to see the Swede? The gun guy, the Swede. Oh yeah, I think it is. <laughs> oh right, because he's trying to find a gun for James Con because James Con can't hit the backside of a barn. So they get him a sawed off. They get him a sawed off double barreled shotgun. And, and yeah. you remember the story of of where the the Swede got that shotgun? No, I don't. It was a uh, uh, a guy that couldn't see so well, so he cut it off short so he could hit. And somebody was messing with him in the saloon, 
but the piano player kept making too much noise and he shot him and so the guy kind of got hung and so that's how the Swede got that <laughs> shotgun. That's kind of funny. That's the I can't remember the guy's name. Something kid. Anyway. Yeah, James Conn character. Yeah. It had a, it had a lot of you know it had a lot of good period guns in it, and I think the the old the the. Uh, the what do you call it? The uh, Mitchum's uh, uh, sheriff had a old, you know, he had one of those old cranky uh, deputies there, and I think he actually used a, he might have used a double barrel shotgun that was percussion capped. So it's it pretty neat, good, good, good movie. L lots of lots of guns. We like lots of guns. The old guy, the old timer. Yeah, and G with with the horn. It was yeah. shot. In, it was shot in Tucson, Arizona. Oh, really? Over in uh, Old Tucson. Yep, Old Tucson Studios. Oh, I'll have to watch it again. But it holds up pretty good, you know, because like I said, it's a redemption story, so it it holds up pretty good. It's got some funny stuff in it. There's a lot of, you know, they they they, they do a lot of jibing back and forth on each other and stuff. So it's pretty good. Right up, good one. Anybody got a quote? Always have a quote. So, this one's from a book person. Well, hold on. First off, today is Tuesday, so that means. Tomorrow. Oh yeah, who's what's coming up next? Yeah, we got somebody doing a chat after this. Haters, haters, haters. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I can do one. Nobody else is gonna do one. There we go. It was still go. Yours was still live this morning for a while. Yeah, I usually don't. Uh, I usually don't actually start broadcasting until after this is over. So it'll go until just a few hours before Knives starts. Cool. Uh, and then it's Wednesday, so we uh, do an early watch or something. It'll be happening in the morning. Then, like you said, Knives will do usually a, a live conversation. Just go. Be available to anybody who wants to join in throughout the day. A lot of people join in during their breaks at work. Uh, I'll jump in when I'm working. Flannery is usually on while he's at work. Uh, Knives is in most of the time, in and out, uh, doing his day-to-day -day stuff while he's running the chat. Others will just jump in if it's their day off or something. So it's a pretty fun uh, room to just hang out in, and uh, it's much more uh, entertaining than a radio show or something that you don't have any interaction with. Uh, it's Monday, or what is it? Monday, so or Wednesday. So Rick's doing his shooting with the disabled. That'll be at 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, Clover does his youth series on Wednesdays. That'll be at 8 p.m. Eastern. Then Matt does his uh, politics chat on Wednesdays at 9 Eastern. And then we'll be back here at uh, midnight. Okay. Now I guess unless anybody else has anything else, anything going on with the uh, owl and the anchor. Um, not much going on with the owl and the anchor, just uh, making stuff and trying not to sweat to death while we're making it. I hear that. Still got, um, got a bunch of flags in store that we're selling, got some stock going, so they ship the same day. Um, two of the flags on pre-order, we're just waiting to 
you finish stitching them up, and then we'll be ready to go. Kind of faded out there at the end, but it sounds like you have a bunch of flags that ship same day. Yeah, all the pretty much everything on the website right now, with the exception of two that are on pre-order, they ship within like a day, so you'll get a flag pretty quick. Right up, Patriot. You got anything coming up? I just jumping in wherever I can. But... Right up. Snob, anything in the works? Mm, not right now. Right on. Well, thanks everybody for jumping in. Cycle, you got anything happening? I'm hoping if if we ever get a break in the damn weather, I'm hoping to do some shooting videos. I've got that Star BM and that 17 HM2 that I want to take out to the range and uh, put them through their paces. Got a bit of a dilemma. Thursday or Friday, excuse me, is Red Dawn Day. And I don't like being in Tucson for Red Dawn Day, so I'm trying to figure out how to effort on the van to get it to where I can get somewhere cool for Red Dawn Day. And that'll be a bit of an adventure this week. I don't know what everybody else is doing for Red Dawn Day, but that'll be Friday. Let's not forget about that. And got a quote from Zach in the show. Okay. All right. Tonight's quote. Good intentions will always be pleaded for every assumption of authority. It is hardly too strong to say that the Constitution was made to guard against to guard the people against the dangers of good intentions. There are men in all ages who mean to govern well, but they mean to govern. They promise to be good masters, but they mean to be masters. And that was written by Daniel Webster. Very cool. Guys and gals of GunWebsites.com encourage you to take a CCW class every year, practice at least once a month, and carry every day. Thanks for watching GunWebsites.com. The guys.